Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. This is the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon. I'm joined this week by Jake McGee. How are you doing, Jake? That's good to be back in my new house with uh, Wi-Fi, which is not as good as my old Wi-Fi, but hopefully good enough to be able to, to help you on a podcast. Well, let's just hope that it holds out for the duration of the podcast. So you moved house recently, um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were disconnected immediately when you asked to be, but then when you asked to be reconnected, it took them about three weeks. Is that right? Yeah, the midnight of the day they said they would take it off. No no issues, woke up, no internet. I was like, oh yeah, that was, that's efficient. Uh, was away on holiday, came back to my new house, no internet. I had to read a book. That's how bored I was. I, I read a book. Shocking. I, I, my, my bedtime was like nine o'clock. It was probably really good for me. Uh, speaking of books, that's quite the segue, Jake. That was, Nailed I don't it. know if you in, in, intended that or not. We have a very, very special guest with us this week on the NFL show. We have got the author, Mr. Ben Isaacs. Uh, and he is the author of The American Football Revolution, How Britain Fell in Love with the NFL. Um, ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my my pleasure. Um, you know, when we started, we started chatting a while back um, and we put the wheels in motion for this. And I've been particularly looking forward to being on this podcast because I feel that podcasts like this are the reason I wrote the book. Um, it's all about it's all about communities and you created a community. And I love that. Yeah, I mean, we we loved uh, our community here in the WinFL show. We've got um, a few regular listeners. You know, we're not the biggest podcast in the world. We're, we're, we're not even the biggest in Scotland. Right? We're like a very tiny podcast. But we do have our followers that listen every week, and they love nothing more than just talking about the NFL, which is what we're all here to do. That's why we started the podcast and uh, we've had guests on, we've had guests from the States on. We even had um, an ex-NFL player, Glenn Milburn, who still holds the NFL record for the most uh, scrimmage, uh, all-purpose yards in a game with 404. He was on last year, um, and it's it's just been fantastic. It's gone from strength to strength. I think Dave uh, was on last week who joked that this is episode 73 and he, he was surprised that we would make it to 10. Uh, this is episode 73 and we're, we're still getting listeners. So that's pretty good. But uh, to have a published author uh, on the podcast is indeed an honor. I have to admit. Um, so tell us a bit about the book, but when, when is it coming out? First of all, um, first off, I have to say, if I followed Glenn Milburn, I mean, Glenn Milburn was a, was an all pro my beloved Chicago Bears. So, I mean, following in the footsteps of an all-pro NFL player, I feel a little bit inadequate, but I will, I'll take it. I'll take it. Maybe I'll just, I should feel happy that if we're judged by the company that we keep, then um, I can be mentioned in the same breath as an, as an all-pro player. Um, so yeah, the book, the book is called The American Football Revolution, How Britain Fell in Love with the NFL. And the idea had been knocking around in my head for, years basically um because i started to realize how how big the sport had got across the uk and the, the everything that the broadcasters had done everything that the nfl had done to create that situation 
And I felt like the fans never actually got enough credit for what they did. And somebody, while I was working on the book, um, had said about fans filling in the gaps. And I thought that, that's, the, that's the phrase that's, that struck me, is that everyone filling in the gaps. Because in those, back in, back in the old days, in the 80s, it was, the, it was the, the magazines and books that we used to be able to buy. And now I think the modern version of that is the podcast, creating those communities, filling, filling in the gaps in between games and bringing everybody together and being able to have somebody to always have somebody to talk about the games with. That's, that's something special. And that's why I had to write the book because nobody is giving fans enough credit. Nobody is giving likes of you guys enough credit for what has been built. It's not just the NFL and the broadcasters. It's all of us. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan, obviously, and I've been a fan since the 1980s. So it was really special for me to be able to tell this story, to tell the fans' story. Um, and hopefully it will inspire other people and there'll be more books about NFL fandom and their, and their different angles. Because maybe mine is quite broad and maybe people want to get into the specifics. So... I just want to say to, you know, right, right, right from the start, everybody who's listening to this, you are a big part of why the NFL comes to London three times a year and spends all this money and does all this stuff. It's people like you, whether you're going to those games or not, it's this community and it's podcasts like this bringing people together. So if it wasn't, if it wasn't for people, if it wasn't people like you, we wouldn't have the game we've got today. Great words there from Ben Isaacs. Uh, Jake, now, as Ben said, we fill in the gaps, or everyone, the fans fill in the gaps, and uh, we are in preseason. Week one, preseason games are done, preseason week two is coming up, but let us fill in the gaps here. What has been the news in and around the NFL this week? Well, it was looking pretty scarce until a, a boom of news yesterday. There was finally some signings. Um, I'll start with the, the worst-kept secrets in all of NFL, the only running back with 1,100 or more rushing yards in each of the last four seasons, Dalvin Cook, signs officially with the Jets. It's obviously been kind of teased for a while and in the works, but it's a one-year deal up to $8.6 million. Um, I think Brees Hall's just been activated off the pup list as well, so that could be a, a deadly combination uh, for a, a very... Well, it looks like going to be a, a quite a potent offense under your favorite offensive coordinator. Yeah, we're not going to talk about Nathaniel Hackett. Thank you very much. Uh, in case you hadn't guessed, Ben, I'm a Broncos fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Jake is a Saints fan. He, he's a New Orleans fella. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Dalvin Cook, we all expected him to go somewhere. There was too many of these big-name free agent running backs around not being picked up. Uh, we had the likes of Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott. For a while there, it looked like Sequan Barkley and Josh Jacobs weren't getting signed anywhere. Um, so with Brees Hall coming back, that could be a really good one-two punch. Ben, I'll get your views on that one. The, the New York Jets, what do you think of them so far? Um, I think this is a great fit for them. Um, I've got high expectations for the Jets. They're in a super tough division, obviously. Um, the Dolphins could be special. We'll see if, if Tua can actually put it together. The Buffalo Bills are clearly the favorites for that division. The Jets, if they were in certain divisions in the NFC, would be the favorites. They look really strong. I think, that, I think they'd put together a fantastic defense. 
the offensive line is potentially shaky. That's potentially a weak link. But if you have a if you have a smart veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, then I think you can you can work around that. I think they I think they've got the chance to have a special couple of seasons with Aaron Rodgers. I love the fit. Um, he seems happy there. He hasn't seemed happy in Green Bay for a while. I think the Dalvin Cook deal is okay financially. Um, I've gone on record with my thoughts about running backs and their contracts. And I did compare them to bags of crisps, um, which was that I feel like we've all been in that position where you're going into a supermarket or wherever and you're getting the meal deal, right? You know, you're picking your sandwich, you're picking your crisps, a little sweet treat maybe, and a drink. And the, the crisps are an important part of that combination, but they're not the most important part. And you might pay three or four pounds for a sandwich, but you're not going to pay three or four pounds for a bag of crisps. A bag of crisps, it's a supplementary thing. You can't build your lunch around a bag of crisps. Do you know what I mean? So you can't pay too much for a bag of crisps, and you shouldn't pay too much for a running back. Those running back second contracts are nothing but trouble. So whenever whenever someone does, I feel like, overpay for a running back, it, it worries me a little bit. I think they're just on the right side of it with Dalvin Cook. I think he's got some upside that he can that he can do that he can do a job. Same same with Zeke Elliott. Those are two special backs. If they've got it, if they've got enough left in the tank, we'll see because they've been putting in some hard yards. Well, to build off your analogy, sometimes you crave for a crisp sandwich. So sometimes you do need your your crisps. <laughs> you do, but it is not a sustainable diet. It's not a sustainable way to live. You can't build your team around the, the crisp sandwich. I love a crisp sandwich. Like, I mean, and I've bought some expensive crisps. Like, there was this Spanish brand. I think they're called, like, Torres. And it was, um, it was like, Iberical Hamon flavor. It was a posh, smoky bacon. An expensive bag of crisps. And I, I loved it, but you spend that money, you, can't, you don't feel like you can put them between a couple of pieces of, like, white bread. You feel like you're wasting the crisp, and you've just spent all that money. You're making me so hungry now, Jake. What's going on? <laughs> I was just getting, so where do Pringles rank in this? You know, because a tube of Pringles is really expensive these days. Well, I think that's a kind of running back by committee if you've got the whole tube of Pringles. Now, if you've got the small tub of Pringles, which, again, is overpriced, and also technically the Pringle is not a crisp. It is a potato-based product, but it is technically... Not a crisp. Oh, it's like Just a Jaffa. Oh, hold, hold is Jaffa cake a, a biscuit? Let's, let's what really do you mean Pringles aren't crisp? <laughs> what are they? It's, it's because of the way that they um, kind of reconstitute bits of potato starch, whereas like a, a crisp really oh, right. is, would is be a, the a piece of potato. Of or potato. A yeah. And I'm, I'm, even, I'm even thinking, you know, like a Watsit obviously isn't a slice of potato, but those kind of wheat-based snacks are still crisps to us but technically a, Pring a pringles is not a crisp i know we'll think of it as a crisp okay. and it is a little bit philosophical and you can get a little bit like that with the jaffa cake which it is a cake we eat them as biscuits but they are cakes because obviously when they go when they go stale they go, they go hard they go hard not yeah. soft yeah yeah we listen we could talk about crisps all the time oh <laughs> maybe we could spend a special spin-off talking about crisps you know because my personal favorites are discos but then i suppose they're kind of like pringles aren't they discos it's it is a it is a similar thing you're yeah, right you're right yeah uh, jake what's your favorite crisp just before we carry on monster munch pickled Monst pickles on your monster, on munch. Your monster munch uh no that's a good crisp for a sandwich that's a good crisp for a sandwich i would pay for that sandwich <laughs> even if it's only for a year 
That's a good sandwich. Uh, ben, do you have a do you have a top crisp? Um, I I'd probably go with uh, if if I had a gun to my head. Um, I don't, but if I did, I would say probably salt and vinegar chipsticks. It's oh. a real, or even salt and vinegar squares. Just oh, that a squares. real kind of salt and vinegar. Moorish. Oh, square, yeah. square. Because something in the flavour in those things just really hits. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like a Roysters. Like you can't, you you have to go to like an obscure like corner shop to get a Roysters now. I think you don't see them around. You do, so when you like see the them, you've got to kind of get them. Uh, do they still make the Brannigans crisps as well? Do they still make those? I think they do. Like, again, that's one I think you'll only see in a corner shop or maybe a pub. And Brannigans is a good pub crisp. Yeah, you know, and it's like for strong flavours that will go with beer. <laughs> and for years and years, you was only ever in pubs where you found the bacon and scampi fries. Oh well, um, see, I grew up behind a bar in that my dad ran a bar oh. and I just, I mean, I, I would just be there being able to access the scampi fries, um, you know, the, the bacon ones and the dry roasted peanuts, but the scampi fries, like, I don't even like seafood, but my God, scampi fries, absolutely unreal. Yeah. That's a, that's again, I say technically not a crisp, but as a bagged um, savory snack, I mean, it doesn't get much, doesn't get much better than that. Especially, you know, that's in the yeah. Super Bowl of snacks. It, it is. <laughs> it is in the Super Bowl of snacks. Now, we need to we, do a bracket. We've a got bracket sl- of crisps. <laughs> we should maybe do a bracket to choose the greatest crisp of all time. Um, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the conversation I have with um, the uh, publisher PR team tomorrow when they say, um, how did the podcast go? How, you know, um, what did you say about the book? <laughs> The book? No, we talked about scampi fries. I, I don't know. Uh, what, what book? What book? Exactly. Um, we, we have gone slightly off topic here, so I do apologise, Ben. Uh, Jake, any I, other I caused news? it. I caused it. Any other news well, in the NFL? Did anything else happen other than uh, Dalvin Cook signing for the Jets? That's where we got this crisp analogy from, from Ben. Well, we did mention the, the two-time All-Pro Zeke, uh, so we'll stay in the, the AFC East and we'll stay with the running backs. He has been picked up by the Patriots, uh, one year up to six million. Obviously, they really like Ramondi uh, Stevenson there. And again, if Zeke can kind of find the the form he was in before Tony Pollard came and ruined his life, um, that could be a very good combination. Um, but I think the Patriots, you know, they're kind of gambling on if Ezekiel Elliott still has what it takes. But if not, it's not the end of the world because they've got a big, powerful running back already. Yeah, and as we've said before, Zeke might be a sort of victim of his own early success behind that huge offensive line that he had there in Dallas early on. Um, and then, as you see, Tony Pollard comes in and it's just, you know, doing exactly the same thing. In fact, to a, to a slightly better degree than, than Zeke is, or was, I should say. But that's a big pickup for the Patriots. They've not had a big name running back for quite some time now. Um, so Ben, I'll put this one over to you now. Zeke to the Patriots. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it's a good fit for them. It's a it's a nice upgrade. It feels like the sort of signing that they might have made around the time that they had kind of like Randy Moss, and that they could get these free agents at in in at bargain prices because those free agents thought, oh, this would be a nice uh, Super Bowl run that I can make. I don't see him making any Super Bowl run. Uh, with the Patriots, I think uh, I think that ship is sailed. But Belichick, I will have pretty good plans for him. I think he'll have a successful season. Um, I think he could. I think he can hit. I think he can hit a thousand yards. He had to get out of Dallas, obviously, but his best days are behind him. I think you know he's just he's taken a lot of hits. 
They, the offensive line, the Patriots, I don't think is going to do him too many favors. He's got enough talent to kind of get by, but there's going to be a lot resting on his shoulders. Mac Jones should be very pleased that he's got Zeke there for what might be the final season of Mac Jones football in Foxborough. Do you, do you really think so? You think if it's not successful this year, they might replace him? I think, I think it was a, not a great pickup when they drafted him. Um, I have many opinions on that on that quarterback draft of that year, um, but the I can see why they took Mac Jones and they kind of took a chance on him, and he perhaps overachieved. He was one of those players who I think was quite ready to be a starter of a certain level. He had quite a high floor, but he had a very low ceiling, and I think we've seen as good as it's going to get from him, and I don't think that's going to be enough for Belichick. I don't think he's going to think, okay, well, I'm just going to try and cruise towards retirement, trying to hit 500 every year. I think unless he can really outshine his first year, I think, I think this will be it for him. And I've, I haven't got much confidence. Uh, Jake, New England quarterbacks. I mean, Mac Jones also, I mean, they, they've got the other kid whose name I've completely forgotten. Bailey Zappi. Is he still there? Yeah. I think. Yeah. And he actually, he looked pretty good when he came in, although he did have a tendency to float passes. Um, I'll put it to you, Jake, for the New England quarterbacks. What do you think? If, if Mac Jones doesn't have a successful year this year, do you think they, they get rid of him or even maybe replace him halfway through the year? Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Mac Jones fan. I think he's quite a dirty player. You can see when he goes to slide and things, he purposely puts his cleats up and tries to injure people. So I'm not a big Mac Jones guy. Um, and you can kind of get away with that stuff. Like, if you, you know, if you're Antonio Brown and you like just run over a punter, you can get away with it for a little while because you're Antonio Brown. Um, when you're Mike Jones, you can't really get away with it in my eyes. Uh, you don't have that kind of star power to be like, ah, oh, I can, can, you know, turn a blurry eye to that. Um, I, I, he might last a season, but I certainly think the Patriots and the kind of the scouts are already looking towards the next draft class or maybe even the free agency because. I mean, even a few years ago, it wasn't very often that a quarterback was made available. I mean, when Peyton Manning, even after a neck injury, went to the Broncos, it was like, wow, a quarterback change in team, that doesn't happen. Whereas now it feels like every offseason, it's like, oh, who's Tom Brady going to go to? Who's Aaron Rodgers going to go to? So I think the Patriots certainly will be kind of looking forward while still obviously not giving up on the season, but uh, I don't think they're expecting much and. and like Ben said, with the, the Bills expected to win this and then the Jets kind of stacking up, it's it's not a, a fun time to kind of be a mediocre team in the AFC. No, and um, that AFC East is looking quite interesting now. Uh, even with, I mean, just taking Zeke to the Patriots, I think makes the Patriots better. I don't know how much better it makes them, but I think it does make them better. And with Dalvin Cook going to the Jets... That you've got to think that's making them better. As you already mentioned, men, the Bills are the favourites. They're right up there. If Tua can stay healthy and be what he was early last year, the Dolphins can beat anyone on the right day. AFC East is, is shaping up to maybe look quite spicy this season. Um, is there any other divisions that you've been looking at that you think, I like, I like the look of this one? Um, I think the AFC South is interesting. Um, because I just, I, Texans are terrible, but the Titans seem to be able to grind things out. The Jaguars are really building something, I think, potentially special. I think the Colts, 
the Colts could be good. It's, it's, I think it's one to kind of keep an eye on. I think we could see some surprises there. Um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's difficult to top the AFC East, though, isn't it? I can't think of a time when we've had a division that looked that stacked. With three teams, if, if, a, if at the end of the season, either the, the Bills, the Jets, or the Dolphins won the Super Bowl, nobody's going to be like, well, who could have seen that coming? And I'm not saying, oh, the Dolphins, they're going to win the Super Bowl. But if they did, I wouldn't be that shocked with, with, the, with, the, kind of, uh, with the roster they've been building. Um, I mean, there were some there were some bad divisions as well. Um, <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the the most competitive division maybe in the AFC East, and then the mo- one probably one of the most competitive divisions in the NFC South, just for the wrong reasons. The NFC South yeah. is, is arguably the most competitive. I don't think there's a single team that you can look at to say they are above the rest. Because you look at the AFC East, I think we can all agree, everything being equal, the Bills are probably the best team in that division. Probably. Mm-hmm. With the NFC South, I've got no idea. I, I, I don't know who's going to win. I, I don't know if any team's going to have a winning record or if any team's going to have a losing record. I, I, I've got no idea. I don't know what's going to happen in that division. So I'm with you there, Jake. You know. Technically, we're the best team in the world right now because we beat the Chiefs. So Chiefs are Super Bowl champions. Oh, we right, beat the Chiefs. Yeah, we yeah. are therefore the Super Bowl champions. Uh, I think that's how it works. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how it works. Preseason is preseason. We'll we'll see how things go. Um, now I think was there any other news, Jake? We keep we keep segueing, and I apologize. Maybe you just want to like rattle it off headline style. I've still got a bit of news. Uh, Cowboys and All Pro guard and team captain Zach Martin reached an agreement on a reworked deal. He was kind of having a hold out, hold in. Mm-hmm. I'm not turned up unless you pay me. Uh, well, you've got north of 18 million of each of the next two years. That's an additional eight and a half million, and it's fully guaranteed. Which shout, out Kirk Cousins, we love fully guaranteed. Why not? Uh, that's a that's a big contract for Zach Martin, but he's a great player. He's a great player. Got to keep the big man happy. He's very important to that team. You know, you look at some of these players, and we we all often say it. You know, a lot of times the the big guys don't get any love. Your offensive linemen, your defensive linemen, unless you're Aaron Donald, or you're a, an edge rusher, they don't get any of the loves. Having guys like that, some of the inside linebackers, these guys getting contracts, we know how vital they are to the team's success. Games are won and lost in the trenches. We see it time and time again. So I think, yeah, I, I think that's uh, good for him, and it's good for the team. They're, they're, they'll really, really need him this year. I just love... Even late 2000s, maybe even early of the 2010 decade, there was very common where like the running back who was getting paid monster money, like LaShawn McCoy getting paid huge amount of money, you know, buying his offensive lineman gifts and making take them out to dinner. It's like now the running back's got to be like, so you're paying for dinner, right? Because uh, you're getting paid about <laughs> well, we four times be. as much. It's it's how it should be. Like those, so many of those running backs are actually interchangeable, and those offensive linemen. You lose the wrong one, and all of a sudden, your line is porous, your quarterback can't stay upright, and your running backs aren't getting any yards. Like, I, I mean, the Denver Broncos in the late 90s and early 2000s, you know, when they were good, um, they, had, they had the most effective offensive line in football. And I think any one of us could have been in the backfield and got 500 yards for the season. And you put a good athlete there and you're guaranteed a thousand yards. The offensive line is making 
has been for so long with making running backs rich, and now it's about time that they got their due. Yeah, you know, especially when you talk about like the the tackles, um, for for years and years, the left tackle has always been the most well. Obviously, the center handles the ball more than anybody else. But the left tackle, generally, if it's a right-handed quarterback, protecting the blind side, the big money guy. He's the one member of the offensive line. But now you are looking at guards getting paid more money, and the right tackle's getting paid more money, and the centers are getting contracts that are, you know, 10 times what they were a decade ago, and rightly so. Because I think you're absolutely spot on there, Ben. We've seen time and time again running backs, and I always bring up Le'Veon Bell. He was there with the Steelers, everyone's first pick in fantasy, leading the league in rushing, leading the league in touchdowns. He wants more money. He holds out for an entire year. They ship him off. James Conner comes in and performs just as well as Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell goes to the Jets and is awful because he had a bad offensive line. You know, and unless you are actually... Barry Sanders or Walter Payton, you need a good offensive line to be able to run behind. And it's, and as you say, you know, to protect the quarterback. So, um, yeah, the big guys, they deserve their money. They absolutely do. I think we I saw think that. that you, go on. No, go on, Jake. Uh, I was going to say, I think we saw that with Ezekiel Elliott. The Cowboys, for long enough, have been, you know, considered one of the best offensive lines. Ezekiel Elliott was, you know, running the league fantastic. They, brought in Tony Pollard from the draft and kind of bits and pieces you saw flashes and then they went, hold on, we might have something with this guy and we can pay him a lot less. Well, yeah, because the the you're talking about the, the Cowboys there. I mean, literally from the early 90s, from when um, Emmett Smith was the running back, right through guys like DeMarco Murray, They've always had a running back in a thousand yard, thousand yard, thousand yard. They've always had a great offensive line for the best part of three decades. Dallas Cowboys have had one of the best offensive lines in the league consistently. I don't know how you do that, but that just seems to be the way it goes. And they've been able to stick guys in and they're getting loads of yards. It's all about the offensive line play. It absolutely is. And it's so much harder to replace a guard than it is to replace a running back. You should be replacing the running backs anyway. It's like running shoes. You know, you've once you've used them for a certain amount of time, you're just going to hurt yourself if you don't replace them. Just just you don't have to spend silly amounts of money, but just keep replacing them. Have them new. And it's just like with running backs. Whereas you want those you want that offensive line, just stability. If you can lock someone down and be like, okay, well, I think that person's going to be doing this job for 10 years. They're that good. Fantastic. You should never think that with a running back. You should think, oh, they're going to do a great job until we've got to get them off the rookie contract, in which, in which point let's find another rookie, pay them relative peanuts, and have them get 1,000 yards behind our fantastic offensive line who are well paid. And that's, that's sustainable financially. You don't get in a salary cap hole. Of course, the salary cap, as we know, is a huge thing. We look at that that monster uh, contract that Todd Gurley got with the Rams back then. Uh, after you know, and he had an incredible season the year before. And of course, um, David Johnson, Arizona. So am I right? The David Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that contract was unbelievable, and it crippled the team. Absolutely crippled them until they were able to trade him for DeAndre Hopkins and. Uh, and a bag, <laughs> and a bag of crisps. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. yeah. Everyone um, just needs Bill O'Brien. 
Yeah, <laughs> Bill O'Brien, my goodness. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, there we go. Now, uh, any word on Kareem Hunt yet, Jay? Because Alan Cook's gone, Ezekiel Elliott's gone. They've got teams. He, What's happening with Kareem? He visited the Saints, and Saints Twitter went crazy. We were like, oh, my God, it's happening. This is, you know, I, I don't want to make light of a joke, but I did see the most hilarious uh, duo name between Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt. We'll not repeat it, but it was very funny, very, very not funny, but very funny. Um, and then he was went to the Colts, and then the Colts like, yep, this is great. And then he's like, nope. So he's still kind of just floating about. He's obviously just kind of getting an idea of the price and a, a fit. With the Colts, uh, Jonathan Taylor's kind of coming back into the fold this week, seemingly. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's playing a part with Cream Hunter. I think at this point in the season, he knows the kind of contract he's going to be getting. So it is kind of pick where you want to go or where you can be the most useful. You know, the Saints, we've still got Jamal. Uh, Kamara's only missing three games, so Hunt could you know flash in the first three games, but then after then, does it drop off? and with the Colts, if they're happy with Jonathan Taylor coming back, how much of the ball is he going to see? Because I, I think his value last couple of years, because he's been with Nick Chubb, has kind of diminished. So I, he probably is trying to find a place where he's allowed to flourish a bit more. Yeah, and, and he is a dynamic player, Kareem Hunt. But you're right, he's sort of lost in the shadow of, of Nick Chubb there for a wee while with Cleveland. Um, Kamara is a three-game suspension, yeah? Yeah, only three games. He didn't bet or anything, so it's not too bad. <laughs> it's just, there's, there's rules you have to follow in the NFL and you can you can hit people you can assault people but don't dare bet on it I don't yeah oh my goodness alright uh, uh, any other news Jake um, well I, it was going to be my random start until I found uh, one it was uh, I'm pretty sure it was my random start last year uh, it was just kind of continuation if we've got any new viewers the Ravens won this weekend that is 24 straight preseason games that they've not lost that goes back all the way to 2015. So I don't watch preseason. I don't really care for preseason. The Saints beat the Chiefs and like Twitter was like, oh, it's like, it's preseason. It means nothing. But the Ravens take it serious and the Ravens do not lose. And we'll never see a record like this. Um, it's the only thing that I kind of keep track of in the preseason. I just want the Ravens to never, ever lose in preseason. <laughs> the next 20 years. Just let's see how far we can take this. Quite We're, a, what, eight years in? You can't beat a good streak. I love a streak. Streaks are going. Last year, we had Kirk Cousins was on, what was he on? We on 32, 33 games, consecutive games that touched and pass, and then yeah. he, he stopped. So that, that's gone. So Drew Brees' record is still alive and well uh, for that one. Uh, but I do like a good streak. Well, the last bit of news, seeing as you mentioned Drew Brees, there, I do have the last bit of news. Uh, Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, Chargers kind of linked it up there. Philip Rivers was going to be the quarterback for the the 49ers if they got to the Super Bowl, apparently. That would have been pretty damn amazing. I would have loved to see that. No, Imagine if the 49ers win and like at the end of the game, you know, where all the kids come down and it's just like a stampede of Philip Rivers' kids, <laughs> all like 53 of them. Well, there wasn't capacity in the stadium, so it could <laughs> never have happened. I, I did see this and I thought, under what circumstances? Because surely... Well, they have no quarterback. Well, so that was at once Brock Purdy got injured. Yeah, if they made if it to they the won Bowl, the game. It, it, yeah. Because right. it was looking like Christian McCaffrey was going to take quarterback at one point, and it was like, well, this... We, we started the season with three quarterbacks. Now we have none. Um, someone give Philip Rivers a call. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. It would have been amazing. What a, what a story it would have been. Win or lose, what a story. That would have been a great story, actually. 
So as I mentioned earlier on, we are joined by author Ben Isaacs, author of The American Football Revolution, How Britain Fell in Love with the NFL. The book is out. Uh, sorry, Ben, is it out now? Can we buy it now? Did well, it weirdly, it's actually out next it? week. Yeah, it's out next week, except various people have been getting theirs this week. In fact, some people, I only got my copies today. And right. I had people telling me they had their copies and sending me pictures even before I'd got mine. So it's officially out next week. But depending on who you've ordered from, you might get it sooner. Right. I, I did pre-order it on Amazon. Um, so I'm, I don't know when it'll arrive, but I'm really looking Yours forward. is delayed. Yours is delayed. I'm not even joking. If you've ordered from Amazon, I'm, <laughs> I apologize, even though it's nothing to do with me. The Amazon one's delayed by a week. I'm only hoping it's because of so much demand, but it, those it have been delayed by a week. So I think the 29th, if you order from Amazon, it'll be worth the wait. Um, please review it. Even wherever you buy it, actually review it on Amazon. There's nothing better than Amazon reviews in terms of visibility. So I'll just say that now. Review it on Amazon, um, no matter where you got it from, please. We will do that. Absolutely. Uh, now, I, as I say, can't can't wait to actually get the book um however you did give me a sneak peek of it and i did notice at the beginning of the book you have a foreword by mike carlson now mike carlson is basically a hero of mine i i love mike carlson uh so um i wanted to talk about the book obviously but i do want you to talk about mike have you have you met mike before did you speak to him or uh, was this something that you did online essentially so the first time I ever um, met Mike was I was a guest on the Americanage podcast in about 2010, which was Nat Coombs, Dan Lowe, and Mike Carlson. And I had known Nat for a few years already, and he invited me to do this, and I thought, this is pretty cool, because... You know, I've been watching Mike Carlson on TV since the 90s, and... The mic, the mic that you hear on podcasts and the radio and TV is the mic that you get in person, pretty much. So he's a lot of, a lot of fun to be around. He's an excellent person to just kind of sit around and talk about anything because he knows everything about everything. And if he doesn't, he'll kind of bluff his way through it anyway. So worked with him on Americanage off and on. Um, I've worked with him at uh, Talk Sport. There was a point where quite frequently it'd be me, him, and Nat doing talk sports Sunday NFL shows. Um, and we've, we've, we've just been together on a uh, podcast with Nat. And I, I tend to run into him at every NFL game um, at Wembley or at Tottenham. And uh, occasionally he'll like steal a bit of my food. I mean, the food's free, but you know, whatever. Um, he's a lot, he's a lot of fun to be around. So when I, when I was putting together the book, I thought I want the forward to be someone who isn't a UK NFL fan. I want an outsider's perspective. And there was only ever one person who I would want to do that because I don't think any outsider knows the UK NFL fans like he does. So that was when I, when I, the first book I wrote was um, Today in NFL History. And I had to do that as an ebook because it ended up being like a million pages long and no one could actually publish it. So it was an ebook. As a Kindle exclusive, and I got Nat Coombs to do the foreword for that, and that was great. But for this, it had to be like Mike Carlson was the only person. So 
Mike is freelance, and I didn't have any budget to pay him to write the foreword. So I was a little bit nervous that when I asked him about this, I was like, you know, Mike, could you do me a favour? I think I asked him in the media section at Tottenham. Um, could you do me a favour? Would, uh, would you write the foreword for my book? And he very generously said yes. And when he, it's, I think he kind of went back a little bit and forth about kind of what he wanted to write. And then when he sent it to me, I just could not have been happier. It just felt absolutely perfect. He understands all of us fans in the UK so well, whether, you know, whether you're new to the game or whether you're someone who's been watching since the 1980s, he gets you. And he's played such, such an important part. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be met with much disagreement here, but I think he's the most significant NFL broadcaster we've ever had in this country. Um, he has really helped popularize it and he's helped people understand the game so much better. So I absolutely love, I love his forward. It's just absolutely wonderful. And I, I read through it again today when I got, when I got the hard copies arrive and it just, it kind of made my heart swell. So Thank you, Mike. Yeah, Mike Carlson is absolutely synonymous with uh, the NFL in the UK. Now, now one one person I um, always associated with it, probably due to what I grew up. Uh, so when I started watching, it was the mid eighties. Um, I was young, didn't watch it like we we videotaped it and then watched it. My, my brother and I would watch it, um, and it was originally my the earliest one I can remember was Mick Luckhurst presenting on channel four um and then gary imlach and gary imlach for me was the the guy as far as i was concerned he was the nfl uh on channel four and it wasn't until mike carlson came along that my view sort of shifted in that respect because gary imlach was the pinnacle for me uh, as a sports presenter in fact he still he's still like an incredible sports presenter. he did tour de france he's done all kinds of sports but then mike carlson came along and has brought that bar right back up again um jake who's who's the sort of person that you associate uh with the nfl is there is there anyone that you would sort of associate with the nfl on television more than anyone else it was mike carlson for a long time through like channel four channel five being able to watch it and then obviously now with Sky it's more Neil Reynolds um, but I think everyone kind of who's watched NFL especially when it was easier to watch on on cable as they call it or you know free to watch TV Mike Carson has always been there or thereabouts and it kind of almost cements the reputation of the program when you've got Mike Carson on it it's like okay we're going to have like this new guy maybe have this guy you've not heard of oh and there's Mike Carson you know it's like he's the kind of the, the, the figure point so he's always been someone that you hear on other podcasts and you see like say with the, in the international games you always kind of see him jump on Sky or jump on here or jump on a podcast with someone else he's just he really is the guy to kind of get involved with yeah he is uh, now Ben I have to ask you this, how long, approximately, <laughs> did it take you to write this book? I'm sure, I'm sure you've been asked that a hundred times already. Uh, um, I was last asked it about two hours ago at my <laughs> daughter's football training. Um, it, took, it took just over a year. You know, it was, 
it started off a little bit of a whirlwind because, like I say, the idea had been kicking around in my head for a while before I settled on the idea of having each chapter be a different person's story and taking it chronologically that way. And once I'd settled on that idea and I thought, okay, I've got to let me let me pitch this and let me pitch it to Pitch Publishing, um, who are the UK's biggest independent sports publisher, and they only publish sports books. And those were my first, they were my first choice. And I thought, if, they, if they're not interested, I'll see if anyone else wants it. But I sent, them, I sent them an email, I kind of went to their websites on how you kind of submit your proposals. Um, I did that, heard back from them very quickly. We went back and forth on some things, and they made some suggestions. We negotiated on how long the book would need to be and that sort of thing and then they said oh we'll get back to you and i thought okay well i know what that means that's a, that's a long wait at best within about five or six hours they'd sent me a contract so that's that was a bit of a whirlwind that day like okay right okay so now i need to get this done by i think i had about just under just under 13 months at that point so i had to quickly kind of figure out okay who are these interviews going to be i i've kind of to cover all the eras and to not leave anything out. And it was, I kind of got it in just under the line. Um, the last couple of people who I had to interview, those were ones that had kind of taken a little bit of time to, to set up because those people were just busy. So it was about 54 weeks, if I'm going to get specific. And I just loved the whole process because it meant every interview was just long phone calls talking about the NFL, what it means to them and their particular and their particular story, whether it was, you know, through fantasy sports or through the Scottish Claymores or whatever. Whatever brought them in and what we can all learn from that era. So it felt like it was quick. And, you know, I finished the book in about February and there's been a lot of toing and froing because you've got to kind of go over edits and you've got to approve the artwork and all that sort of stuff. And that to me has been a lot more difficult than writing the book because I haven't been, I don't have the same level of control. Whereas I'm writing it, I'm just writing it when I want to write it. So it didn't take that long. Um, I was quite pleased at how quick it all, it all took considering, you know, I was, I was given a deadline and it was uh, relatively easy to hit it. Uh, it's not often that happens. You're given a deadline that you're like, yeah, I don't bother. I can do that. I'll tell you what, on my work, yeah, I, it never happens. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was terrified of not hitting the deadline. So I was just, I wanted to be well ahead of schedule the entire time. And I, and I was, and it was good because when it was kind of then the Christmas period and I felt like I only had about six weeks to go, people were busy and it was, it was hard to kind of get the last few. So yeah, thankfully, thankfully I'd given myself that slack. Quite right. That needs to be done. It needs to be done now. Um, <laughs> with with regards to the, the people that you you've met, people that you've worked with, you've mentioned Nat Coombs and I've got those guys and uh, Mike Carlson, obviously. And uh, have you worked with any of the guys who've been doing it recently? Also, Yumanura, Mark Chapman, Jason Bell. Have you have you met any of these guys? You worked with any of these guys at all? Um, I've not worked with any of them. Uh, I was chatting on text with Jason Bell the other day, actually. Um, I've, I've met Jason and OC a few times. Um, it was a, it was an evening in Dublin last year before the, uh, Northwestern Nebraska game, at the Aviv stadium. And 
I think Jason Bell paid for all our all our drinks that evening. Not like it was a massive group of us, but it was uh, it was a handful of us, and I think uh, I think he was happily footing the bill. Maybe he was putting on expenses for uh, for a broadcaster. I don't know, but generous all the same. Um, Jason Bell and OC, what they've done for the sport in this country is fantastic. To give to give fans in this country a face. So with with OC, obviously born in London, um, and Jason with his. Uh, connections in london with his family now it's they've been so they've been so great they've been lovely um as far as the likes of um mark chapman i mean i think they do a fantastic job i've never i've never met i've never met any of those others i've never worked with them but again these are people who i feel have really really done sterling service and you can and you can tell they've got they've got a passion for the game as well as being talented broadcasters uh, jake did you have anything you want to do uh, I'd do there with Ben or ask Ben. Well, it's just at the the start when Ben was first talking about it, and obviously the main focus of it being around communities and, and you know what we've done here. And I think with COVID, because for a while uh, yourself, you know, so I was talking about oh we should do a podcast, and you're thinking oh you're just going to end up talking to like I could talk to you about football for for hours, but you don't want to do it kind of talking at a wall. And then it finally kind of came to fruition. You, you've You've kind of put the the wheels in motion, and I think Dave will agree. It's kind of we didn't think it would go as well, or you know that first episode. You're like, you know, how's it going to work? And then you just start talking. You're like, oh, okay, this seems to, you know, that, that's two hours we've just spoken for. So I've really enjoyed it, and it's kind of with COVID as well. It was a great way to kind of keep in touch because you can't be in a pub or you can't go to the game. So being able to keep in touch with people with similar interests, uh, and you mentioned obviously with you know loyal listeners, you go on. Twitter and you, you you promote your your podcast and you expect to kind of just put it out into the to the black hole and no one replies. But when you get those messages, people replying and people picking up on certain parts of the podcast, you know they're not just being like, "Oh, I, I liked and shared it because you're my son," or you know, "You're my pal, so I'll do it for you." You know, when people actually out with comment on specific things, that just makes it all kind of worthwhile. That's why I'm really excited. I have also pre-ordered it through Amazon, so maybe a week later. Uh, but I'm also looking forward to kind of reading it and just kind of picking up little bits and pieces because people will take different things. You know, there might be something on one page that resonates with Ian, and then there'll be something you know thirty pages later that resonates with me. So I think that's really cool about podcasts and books and kind of different people's opinions on it. I'm hoping that with the book, people will people will see somebody in the book who they strongly identify with um where they'll feel like yeah this is this is like my story or it'll be that part of that person's story is like mine and then this person this this other person's story is is the is the other half of my story and i think people will read it and feel like oh that's like so and so who got me into the sport whether it's a whether it was a, a relative or a friend and they'll kind of see it all came together because for those of us of a certain age, we weren't, we weren't born into this. You know, it's unlikely that we were brought up with, you know, with that being around us and parents who were avid fans, younger fans now. Yes. But for those of us who were watching in the mid eighties, it was as new to our parents and older relatives as it, as it was to us. So we kind of, you know, if, if you're anything like me, you had other friends in school who liked, who liked the sport and you're all kind of learning about it at the same sort of time because there was, 
you know, we we couldn't just get on the internet and read up some stuff. We couldn't just go onto YouTube and, and check out some highlights. And we couldn't listen to a podcast and see what the news was and see what, what the general conversation was. We just had to figure it out from what we watched and reading First Down and those magazines... And that just that felt like you were in a special kind of club at that point, but we didn't have a way of we didn't have a way of talking to each other. And the NFL was a huge part of my life as a as a child. And you know, I, if you'd have if you'd have seen me um, when I was say eight years old, you'd have thought like, oh my god, he's like he wears a different um, Chicago Bears top every day. And you could see me now, and you'd think. Yeah, he just seems to wear a different Chicago Bears top every day. Like, not a whole lot has changed there. Um, you know, it's a as a silly little thing for me. There's I'm I don't have a load of key rings with my keys, right? When I was a kid, I used to kind of collect key rings. I would always buy key rings, but I would there was only one key ring I would ever put my keys on. And back in 1988, my dad, like I say, he ran a bar, and there was a competition for people who worked in the trade um, from Bell's Whiskey. And Bell's Whiskey used to sponsor the, the English Football's Manager of the Year Award. And it was some spot-the-ball competition for people in the trade. And my dad got my got my mum to do the cross-the-ball. And she did it and handed it to him. And he said, okay, well, you've done it wrong. Because she had spread out all these cross... And for, I'm sorry for anyone who's too young to remember spot-the-ball that there would be a picture of some footballers, almost like in silhouette, and it was the ball would be up in the sky somewhere. And it's it's not actually where it actually was. It would be where an adjudication panel would think the ball looked like it would be based on the direction the players are and all that sort of stuff. I think it was a legal thing that you couldn't, because it had already happened, you couldn't make money from saying how it happened. It had to be some sort of prediction. Anyway, you... Apparently, the tactic is, is you pick a certain area and you put as many small crosses in that area as possible. But my mum had done it really evenly. Like, it was just a cross in each area. And it's like, okay, that's not how you win. Anyway, long story short, she won. So, they got some fancy all-expenses trip, uh, all-expenses paid trip to the 1988 FA Cup final at Wembley when Wimbledon famously beat Liverpool. And... Because it was the 1980s, all the men went to the football and all the women were taken shopping. So they went and did shopping and my dad went to the match and all this. And my mum went to Covent Garden and she bought me a Chicago Bears key ring. And it is the only, it is the only key ring that I will use. It's very special to me. Uh, my mum passed away when I was 16. But I've got this key ring and I've got this Chicago Bears key ring connects me very much to my childhood as a Chicago Bears fan. And maybe because the Bears have never lived up to how they were in 1985 when I first started watching. But whenever I think of the Bears, whenever I'm watching the Bears, I'm taken back to that time in the 80s, which for a lot of us was a really special time. It was a special time to be young, I would say. But there was something sort of so new and exciting about the NFL at that point. And most fans who are watching now were not fans back then because they were too young or they were not into it. And one of the things I hope people get out of the book is how fresh and special it felt then because it was like it was like an oasis in a desert because um, domestic football just felt grey. 
dangerous, ugly, and the NFL felt so different. Now, you know, domestic football is much more vibrant. There's a lot more money in it. It's not, it's not just like hooligans on terraces. But the NFL was like a, a shining star at that point. And I really, I really hope that fans who have been a fan for a long time and can sometimes be a bit cynical about the newer, younger fans, I hope that by reading the book, they'll get an appreciation for their journey. And I hope for the younger fans, they'll appreciate how it was for us. Because we've got more in common with each other than I think we realize sometimes. I've, I see some younger fans moaning about older fans. And I see older fans almost acting like, oh, these, these kids, they don't know they're born. All these live games. We actually have barely any highlights and we'd have to wait for first down. But we're all part of, we're all part of that one community. And it's, it's very special to me. Yeah, I um. Sorry, Jake. I just you don't you don't look old enough to be saying you know back in my day you look <laughs> I know far, far too youthful <laughs> to be the when I was a kid when I was a wee boy. Um, I can put that down to um, plenty of sleep, plenty of water, uh, plenty of SPF sunscreen. That's, that's what keeps you looking and, you're, and you're getting plenty of sleep. That's impressive. Well, she's she's twelve now. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's the worst gone. of it. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got dogs that wake me up, but thankfully my daughter stays asleep. Getting her up is the problem. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, now my, uh, my my nephew, he's a Bears fan, um, and he got into the NFL basically because myself and my brother are huge NFL fans. And I was trying to explain to him about Armed Forces Radio. <laughs> and you know you know exactly what I'm talking about. So for anyone who, who isn't aware, anyone listening who's not aware, back in the 80s and 90s, in fact, right up to the late 90s, I don't know if it still went into the 2000s, um, the Armed Forces Radio Service, so it was the AFRTS, Armed Forces Radio and Television Services, but it was, it was also called AFN, Armed Forces Network, um, and they would actually broadcast NFL games on the radio um, on, was it shortwave? It was AM anyway, it wasn't FM. Yeah. And you would, I, I would have the radio up on a shelf in the bedroom um, with the, the uh, aerial sticking out the window, trying to tune in to get the worst, crappiest signal. And you'd hear a bit of commentary you're like, that's it. I've got the game, and it was there was only one game on. Um, I think I, I used to listen every single week, and I think I heard maybe two Broncos games in the years that I listened to that. But it didn't matter, because as you said, Ben, this was all new. It was unheard of. You had no idea what was going on. And then halfway through the second quarter, it would start phasing in, and you'd hear some Spanish opera going on you were like i don't know what happened there so you need to try and uh, adjust it but it was new and gridiron touchdown and first down were the three publications that i remember and the um the the magazine show so there was blitz uh on channel four before that a precursor to that i think was called red 42 precursor to that was called something else (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but they would have the, 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 the magazine show, the Saturday morning show, which basically had the highlights 
from the week before's games. So you would have to wait from Sunday to the following Saturday to watch highlights and hope that your team had highlights because they would show highlights from maybe, what, four or five games and then would destroy the scores of the rest. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh uh, no. When, only, I, when only, I first started team, watching... So, sorry, Ben. No, go on. I was going to say the only team guaranteed to get highlights were the Lions because of Barry Sanders. <laughs> um, when, I, when I first started watching... It was at the point where it was still only highlights once a week on the Sunday. So at 6 p.m., you would you'd go onto Channel 4, you would start watching those highlights, and you perhaps didn't think too much about it. But the fact is that right at that point, next week's games were already taking place while you were still... So week one of the NFL season, you didn't see that till week two. And one of the most remarkable things is that there was a... NFL strike in 1982 wiped out half the season, and that's when Channel 4 launched. Channel 4 started showing American football while the NFL was on strike. And they were able to show stuff from earlier in the season, because who the hell was going to know? There was no way of finding out any of these scores, unless you had a family member in America who you would be able to call up, and why you would be doing this for a sport that had no coverage in this country. Unless you were calling them up saying, oh, what... What was the Bills Eagles score? Then you're not gonna you're not gonna know. It's irrelevant. You can just wait a week. And it it didn't matter because you were not gonna see any spoilers. You just waited a week and then it was a big deal in nineteen eighty seven when they started showing Tuesday evening highlights. And that was amazing because the first Tuesday they did that, it was the day after the first Monday night game of the nineteen eighty seven regular season. And that was the biggest that was the biggest game of the week. It was the Bears Giants, the winners of the past two Super Bowls. I remember watching that at about eight PM on the Tuesday, and that game was less than twenty four hours old. And that blew my mind because we hadn't had anything like that before. So that felt so significant. But you watch that and at that on that point in the broadcast, there were no other highlights. It those it was just the scores. And then like you say, you had to wait for the weekend. Maybe you'd see some of your team. Just hard work. Hard work. work. But but it was fine. We obviously we absolutely we absolutely loved it. And I you know, I I I don't want this to feel like it's just um you know, old guys reminiscing about the you know, the good old days. But it's just it's having a different level of appreciation for it. And it's not better or worse, but it comes from a different perspective. When when Sky starts having the game on the red button as well. And you could be watching, this was in about uh, 06, 07, and you could watch a game, oh, this game's not great. This is a bit of a blow-up, press the red button, what's the alternative game? That, that to me was perhaps the, one of the great moments. The idea of like, oh, I've got two games at once at any time. And that was even before, you know, we had Game Pass and all that stuff. But, mm. It's technology has been such an important part of the NFL experience. So whether it is sticking an aerial out the window or being able to on a bus and watch game pass on the way back from a, a Sunday shift doing your job, whatever it is, it's amazing. It's amazing. And NFL's a great sport on the radio. I love doing 
uh, Talksport NFL broadcast as well. There's just something, there's something about sport on the radio that I mm-hmm. that I really like, and I know that some people will listen to the Talksport broadcast where we're covering everything while they're watching their favourite team, so they can just constantly hear everything else that's going on while they while they watch their team, and it's it's a it's a wonderful wonderful luxury to have everything that we've got right now and the opportunities that we have like one of the chapters of the book is the person who broke the record for going to every nfl stadium in the shortest period of time and the idea that that's not an american it's a guy from leeds you know like it's just it's it's a it's a yorkshireman who did that not a new yorker it's it's wonderful the opportunities that we that we have available to us now including you know this a podcast is basically like a radio show and you could never have imagined, okay, well, I'll just have a radio show and I'll do it whenever I want and people can listen whenever they want and we'll get a local, a local community of people of, you know, like-minded NFL fans and we can come together and the combination of technology and community is what's put us in that position now. Yeah. And uh, the technological advances are, are incredible. What I like to do now um, and my wife despairs, is that on Sundays, depending on when the Broncos are playing, so I've got a television in, in the kitchen and a, the main television in the living room, but you can see through. So you can sit nice. in the living room and I've generally got, so like the Broncos game, if the Broncos are playing an, you know, an early game, because a lot of their games are late at night, I don't stay up. What, like if they're playing an East Coast team, and then on the other telly, you've got red zone. And red zone is one of the greatest things to ever happen to any sport <laughs> ever. And I still think Scott Hansen's not human. There's no way he can be, because that guy just, just constantly talks for seven hours or whatever it is. It's absolutely magnificent. I, it's the purest form of enjoying a sport. Seven hours with no adverts. <laughs> That's just incredible. Um, Jake, can we get you to input on it? Because I feel like myself and Ben would probably just carry on talking for hours <laughs> about the NFL and how bad it used to be. Well, not bad. Obviously, it was amazing. But the differences between yesteryear and today. But, um, Jake, let's get your input on this. The NFL today and the NFL from when you first started watching, which doesn't sound like a long time ago, but I believe it was 2009. Is that correct? Yeah, 2009. I mean, as a, a younger or newer fan, it's it's hilarious to me because I'm thinking if I was slightly older and I was, you know, before technology had kind of caught up to the NFL, my sleep pattern would be oh, incredibly bad. <laughs> the, the amount of hours I've lost to the to the NFL and to the Saints crushing my dreams at like 4 a.m. and being like, cool, set my alarm for, for two hours and go to work. And then everyone at work being like, how are you functioning? I'm like, I just, you have to. I'm not going to give up NFL, and I'm not going to give up my job. So here I am. Um, so I think if if I was from the the older generation, I would have benefited from a better sleep pattern. Um, but I am also very lucky in the terms of, like, say, 2009 when I first started watching. I was online playing with some friends in America, and they were like, "Oh, we're getting off now." You know, bearing in mind this must have been about midnight. They're like, "Oh, we're getting off now for the Super Bowl." I was like, "What? What on earth is a Super Bowl? Like, what? Are you, what are you talking about?" And I'm like, oh, it's you know, to the NFL. I'm like, you're speaking like Spanish to me. Like, you need to dumb this down. And they're like, oh, you should just watch it. And it's like, you know, it's Peyton Manning, it's the Colts. They're against like New Orleans. And I was like, oh, New Orleans. I obviously heard a lot about them because of Hurricane Katrina just a few years before. And then I noticed the 
Colts were like 14 point favorites and lucky little New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. I was like, you know what? I'm going to support the, the team in black and gold. And then I'm hooked since then. And m- most things in my life since then, they've been pretty poor or have never been able to, to get back over the hump. But I have been very fortunate in terms of having it basically at my fingertips to the point where I often now stay up because I don't want to wake up and go onto Twitter and have everything ruined for me. You know, when you're like, oh, I'll, I'll watch that game tomorrow. And then you go on Twitter and see, oh, it's 27-24. This person got three touchdowns. You're like, oh, I feel like I don't need to watch that anymore. Um, so I, I end up killing myself to not get anything spoiled. And that fascinates me that obviously back in the day, you saying there, you were watching, you know, week one highlights when week two was kicking off. That amazes me, you know, because there was no technology and people ruining it for you. You could go an entire week of just blissful ignorance and then, okay, what happened last week? That, that, that to me blows my mind. Th- that is true. However, a little later on, and I'm not sure when this would have been, I came across it maybe in about 1990, so it may have been before or, or after that, um, CFAX on BBC. Oh, yes. You could get the scores. They, they, they put it on. I don't know what year they did this, um, but you could get the, the scores on page three, three something. Three, three, four. I'm going to say I could be completely wrong with that. Um, and so on on the Monday morning, you could look up the scores from the night before for the NFL. Do you know what that that is? That is true. Um, and I've now remembered a bad experience that I had, where um, the Bears lost in the playoffs. I guess it was the January '88. And Washington were en route to the Super Bowl and they beat the Bears, ended up being Walter Payton's final game. Um, and somebody, I guess I would have been watching the highlights on whatever day, let's say it was the Tuesday. And this, this person had said to me, oh, no, they, they lose. And I, I, not that I thought oh, it's impossible the Bears were going to lose this, but I was pretty confident. So I was then pretty confident that They'd made a mistake. They told me the score. But I thought, I don't know how reliable you are. You're less reliable than the Chicago Bears are. So I'm not convinced that's going to be the score. And of course, it was the score. And that was, that was harrowing. I don't, mind, I don't mind telling you. Yeah. But it, that was, it was rare. That was a, a rare thing because most people were not looking, you know? And you wouldn't, you wouldn't come across it by accident. No, you so, have to search for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it kind of sums up the the sport a little bit in those days. You know, you had you had to go looking for it. You it wasn't just it wasn't just there. It took a little bit of an effort for anything other than just watching a little bit on Channel Four. You know, going to get first down, and you know the the various magazines. So I'll add quarterback to the list. When you were listing magazines, I used to get Quarterback magazine as well. One of the um, one of the chapters in the book is an interview with Dan Turl, um, and he he's so much fun on Twitter. He's an artist and a collector, and he's got uh, he's got an account which I don't remember the name of right now, but it's like the it's the NFL from sort of nineteen eighty two to nineteen ninety two sort of thing, and it's just memories and merchandise and magazines from that era he's super passionate about it so i talked to him in one of the chapters about the how what a big deal the media and merchandise was in the mid 80s 
to the early 90s in terms of creating an audience and giving us all something to latch on to. And he is just such a wonderful source of information. It's a real kind of trip down memory lane whenever I get the chance to speak to him. And he's putting together, he's collecting a lot of the stuff that he had lost and adding to that collection. What I mean, there is no one who knows more about the merchandise and media of those early days than Dan Terrell. And it was just, it was incredible talking through those things with him and trying to figure out, okay, what teams could you buy merchandise of in the 80s and early 90s? And if you're you're relatively new to the sport, you'd be amazed at how low that number was. There were various teams where if you had somehow decided from watching Channel 4, oh, that's my team. Maybe it's because you liked their colors. Maybe it's because they had a great comeback win or something. And you said, that's my team. And you would get the magazines and newspapers and there would be all this merchandise you could buy. None of it, perhaps for your team. If you liked the Cardinals, well, no, you're out of luck. Oh, I like the Packers. No, you're out of luck. Oh, I like the Bills. No, you're out of luck. There was a very select group of teams and you could get loads of stuff. But you did not get any saint stuff. You could go. You could get bronco stuff. Yes, you could not get saint you could, stuff. You could get bronco stuff. Uh, for some reason, patriots. They always had. Yeah, patriots I think it's stuff. because of Super Bowl twenty. I think. Of course, that probably about the Bears. Of course, um, the Dolphins. I think you could get their stuff yep. as well, and probably you could get you know, saint stuff. You could just get a brown paper bag and put some holes in it. <laughs> That's Ince stuff, Jake, you're thinking of there. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. I've, I've started uh, just recently, in fact, um, collecting old Super Bowl programs. I, when I was... Nice. So back in 1992, uh, my brother had got me the Super Bowl program for Super Bowl 26, so the 1991 season. It was in the January of 1992. And I read it from front to back, wore it out. Wore it out. The cover fell off, pages fell out. Uh, I read it and read it and read it. Um, so I recently found a copy on eBay. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And it's the UK version. It's very important to get the UK version. So I got yes. that. And then I was like, it was in mint condition. And I was like, unbelievable. This is from 1992. So I thought, I wonder what other ones I can get. So I managed to get... Um, Super Bowl, so I had 26, I got Super Bowl 25, which funnily enough, the Super Bowl program for Super Bowl 25 was released before the championship games were played. It's the only one. So weird. It doesn't, yeah. it's got the preview to the championship games. Uh, I got the one for, it does. Uh, I got the one for Super Bowl 24 and one for Super Bowl 22 so far. And they are all in near mint condition. And reading through those, and you're right, they've got the adverts, and it shows you certain teams that you can get. And it's got a team, I can't even remember if the Cowboys were one of the teams, probably. They must yeah, the Cowboys been. were, the Cowboys were. Cowboys yeah. were one of the teams. But there was like maybe eight or nine teams, or ten teams. That was it. And there was 28 yeah. teams in the league. <laughs> so, you know, you had a one in three chance of your team actually being there and being able to buy anything. But I also remember the, the, the shirts, they looked awful. It was those, um, you know the ones I mean, it's the printed numbers on that. The, the holes are so big, it's practically see-through. You know that kind of yes, mesh. cheap mesh, yeah. They were 
awful looking back now but back then in 1980 or whenever it was when i saw my first um advert for one in in, in, a, in a, a paper or a magazine i was like ah, that's all i want in life all i those want those that. super bowl programs felt so special because so the first one we ever got here was super bowl 21 and i remember seeing it advertised in first down and being so excited about it and i must have first down must have been brand new at the time or relatively new because that's when i started getting it around the time of Super Bowl 21. So I'm sure that's where I saw the ad. And I remember saying to my dad, like, right, can we go to the shop and see if they've got it? Because that shop had just every magazine in it. It was fantastic. And I'm there, this nervous walk to the shop of like, what if they, what if they don't have it? Like my life will not be right if I'm not able to watch the game while I've got this program. As we were walking towards the shop, we walked past someone who was holding a copy and my dad said, I think they've got it. And, but I thought, what if he got the last one? <laughs> that would be just your luck. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, thankfully, it's the last one in the shop. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully I got it and it just felt amazing. And at that point I didn't really have any concept of the idea of like, Oh, this is clearly a UK edition. It didn't occur to me that, Oh yeah, these are ads for UK things in here. It's just like, this is the super bowl program. How amazing is this? I feel so close to the game and they're thinner than the U S ones. There would be various things that were not kept in. If you look carefully in some of those UK editions, the, num the page numbers don't aren't correct because they'll have taken sections out and they haven't corrected the, the numbers but they're wonderful they're wonderful and like i've i spoke at length with with dan turl about them because there's something special about the uk ones in in most ways they're worse than the us ones but it's what we had so it's that's that's what that what that's what will seem special to us the super bowl 25 program oh boy now that's amazing so if you're not familiar with the super bowl 25 program you've got to google it and look at the fold-out artwork on the cover because it's, it's a celebration of the first 25 years of the Super Bowl. And it's just Easter eggs. It, it is. If you now, see what I mean. I'm going to stop you there for two seconds because I'm going to go and get it so I can show Jake. I've got it in the Great. next room. Two, Great. Two seconds, gentlemen. Get yourself a glass of water. Uh, through the magic of editing, I just happen to have a copy of the Super Bowl 25 UK uh, program here. So as you look at it, uh, Jake, I don't know how much of that you can see. You've got. All I can actually see it for the moment. Yeah. Um, and then on the inside, you've got. So. Oh wow. This one folds out two pages, like that, and it's got lots of. I, I don't know if I can see everything that's on there. Um, lots of little Easter eggs from all the different Super Bowls in there. And it's absolutely spectacular. And I felt I felt really bad for the guy who sold me this. Or possibly girl, you know, not assuming anything. Mm -hmm. um, on eBay, um, it had zero bids. With like, uh, when I looked at it, I had an hour to go with zero bids. And, and I put in a bid and I won. And I thought, I actually felt really bad for the person. Um, and the first other thing that you have there is the London Monarchs. Because it's there you it go. is the UK edition. Um, on the back of the pullout, it's just a giant uh, Budweiser advert. 
that on a but these, these uh, it's all silk cut. There you go, Marlboro adverts everywhere. It's all uh, cigarettes and alcohol advertising. But the the amount that went into these programs was just unbelievable. Um, they went right in depth to the the teams, and this is of course is the pre championship games. So there's the 49ers and the Giants. Because that's what it was. I'd never read this one. I'd read the Super Bowl Twenty Two one, and I'd read the Super Bowl Twenty Six one, and the Super Bowl Twenty Four one. Um, and they are all previewing the Super Bowl. So they've got the teams of the AFC champion and the NFC champion. And I was looking for it. I kind of flicked through right to the, the back to try and find the talking about the Bills and the Giants for Super Bowl Twenty Five. And I'm going, it's it's not here. They're talking about the 49ers. What's going on? They're talking about the, the at the time, the, the LA Raiders. What's going on? And I couldn't figure it out. And it's pre, that's, this is a Super Bowl program, pre-championship game. <laughs> so I don't know if that's like a misprint or if the, the UK, the USA one is different. If anyone has a copy of the US version of the Super Bowl 25 program, please get in touch and let me know if that is the same because that is just weird. <laughs> So one of the other chapters of the book, and I, I promise I won't tell you about every single chapter. Um, one of them is with uh, Chris Milner, who runs National Vintage League. Now, he is, I get him talking about the early to mid 90s, not because he was a fan then, but because I wanted to talk about how important the NFL fashions were and i'm saying fashions not merchandise because at this point it was the influence of the cool american brands who were producing the stuff so people like starter and how it kept the nfl in our consciousness once interest had really started to die down so it's a fascinating chapter and he'd been saying look you've got to come and visit the warehouse and just kind of look through all the stuff we've got here you know you'll You'll love it. And it was just hard finding the time. And eventually I did make my way there and realizing that the warehouse was actually very easy to get to from where I live. Uh, and then I felt a bit silly that I'd taken so long to do it. So while I was there, the place, he, so he doesn't really try to sell memorabilia. He is selling old clothing, basically vintage clothing to do with American sports, mostly the NFL. But he's got some memorabilia that he's kind of locked into um, that he doesn't ever try to pay much money for because he doesn't make the point of selling it on. But he was offered the... So if you look through that program, at some point you'll find stuff about like the kind of seat cushion that would be on your seat at that Super Bowl. And he was offered this for sale, this seat cushion. And he kind of came to a, a, a price that he thought was fair. And he got it. It didn't occur to him that all the stuff that comes with it was with it. All in immaculate condition. So stuff connected to that program. I think the program is there. There were special trading cards that were there. It's an absolute bounty. I dread to think how much that is actually worth to a collector he got it for a song and it's just kind of part of the display there in the in the warehouse and he managed to get the same for the following super bowl super bowl um 26 which uh his his team washington won but 
I accept that a trip to um, Peckham in South London is a lot more difficult for you guys to get to is for me uh, living also in southeast London but if you ever find yourself in London and you're at a loose end it's up Chris Milner at National Vintage League and take a trip to the warehouse because even if you don't buy anything you will have a great time and he'll have a great time showing you around everything that's everything that's there he's another kind of art of knowledge about stuff that we kind of experience but we don't know that much about we don't fully understand the intricacies and the and that he does he was absolutely fascinating it's such a such a fun place to be that national vintage league warehouse um maybe like look up some pictures as well it's it's so cool there that's the national vintage league like chris milner was it yes yes in peckham so um, if anyone is in the peckham you know, area <laughs> go and check yeah, it out. please please do you know when you were talking about kind of like uh covid and people coming together in covid you know he started um a like a, a youtube show with the with his former um business partner there um called like uh, the emergency broadcast and from out of that they you know, became such a such a good reception to that you know ended up having a, a segment on channel five's end zone nfl magazine show and it's just if it wasn't for COVID, it wasn't for people coming together as a community, things like that wouldn't happen. So it's it's nice when kind of grassroots people get that sort of exposure. Thank you very much for that, Ben Isaacs. So, gentlemen, uh, we do come to our final segment uh, before we have to say goodbye. So we are now in time for... Random Stats. Random Stats. Uh, Jake, why don't you go first with a random stack? Because we've not heard from you in a few weeks because you had no internet, obviously. Yes, yeah. I've uh, had a, a while to, to think about it. And I had uh, a random stat. It was a, a short one about the Carolina Panthers. And then I stumbled across another random stat. So it's a bit of a, a two for one. Now, my original random stat was going to be about how poor the NFC South is this year. And that between the 2013 and 2015 seasons the carolina panthers won three straight division titles but never had back-to-back winning records so the nfc south has these kind of ups and downs of having two or three really good teams and then four teams that are pretty mediocre so it's quite impressive the panthers have actually never had back-to-back winning seasons which is kind of insane especially when you win the division three times um, and then the little bonus stat, uh, the last time each NFL team was shut out, the Carolina Panthers and the Baltimore Ravens were last shut out in 2002. Uh, I won't go through all 32 teams, but uh, in 2022, the Saints, Raiders, Colts and Lions were all shut out. Uh, and like I say, it goes all the way back to 2002 for the Panthers and the Ravens. Now for the Broncos, for yourself, they were last shut out in 2017. The Bears last shot out in 2015. Uh, for Patrick, the, the Jaguars last shot out in 2021. The Rams were actually 2016 as well for Dave. There we go. I kind of ticked off the kind of the teams that are almost notably known with with our podcast. But yeah, it just feels very weird as a Saints fan to highlight the Panthers. But I thought they were it was interesting enough for me to to, to let it slip. Absolutely. There we go. Uh, now. 
Ben, would you like to give us your random stat next, or will I go? Do you want to keep yours for last? Uh, I, no, I, I want to. I want to go because I started to get very scared that you <laughs> were going right. to step on my stat toes because mine mine is also shutout related. Oh, and it and it's. I'm going to go back to the 1991 Washington team that was absolutely fantastic. So, in the first five weeks of the season. Three of their results, they beat Detroit 45 nothing. They beat Phoenix 34 nothing. They beat Philadelphia 23 nothing. They had three shutouts in the first five weeks of the 1991 season, and they have not shut a team out since. Oh, oh I did not know that. I knew about the three shutouts. They were all in RFK Stadium, as it was called at the time. The first three home games were shutouts. Uh, That's the last time they shut out an opponent. Yeah. Yeah, 30th of September, 1991. 32 years. <laughs> I had to work that out. Uh, no shutouts in 32 years. Oh, I mean, rough. you'd have got good odds on that after that third straight home shutout to start the season. You've got good odds on there being, well, we're going to wait at least 32 years for another shutout. Wow. And that was a, I great, mean, that was a great defense they had. In Washington, oh, what, what, a, what a team what a team that was they lost two games that season one by three points and one by two points yeah. and there were a lot of absolute shellackings there even the ones that they didn't get the shutout in I mean at one point they beat, they, they scored 56 against Atlanta it was it was a hell of a team it was and not not had one since and they they they, they were one of the first uh, not not first teams to do it, obviously, but to have success with running back by committee. They had mm. Ernest Biner, they had Ricky Evans and Gerald Riggs in the backfield. And they, it was just a one, two, three punch all the time. And, and teams couldn't stop it. They couldn't stop it. But that offensive line with the hogs. And yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. They, they kept consistency with that offensive line. But Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls in whatever it was, nine or ten seasons there in Washington with a different starting quarterback every time. Like you say, rotating running backs, but he tried to keep consistency on that offensive line. He did indeed, and it worked. Uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful stamp. I can't believe it's been 32 years since they shot. <laughs> that's an opponent. <laughs> you can see why I was so scared that that's, <laughs> that was going to come up. It's quite nice. It worked. It worked very well in tandem. But yeah, you do start to sweat when you think, "Oh my god, this is you've ruined it." You do. You really do. You're thinking, "Oh my word, what's going on here?" Um, right. My random stat is about scoring. It's specifically about extra points. Now, a lot of people consider Adam Vinatieri to be one of the best kickers of all time because he was one of the most consistent he seemed to play for a hundred years and he was a very clutch making kicks i mean i don't know i think he's like single-handedly responsible for about three of tom brady's super bowl rings and it's just you know everyone talks about adam vinatieri adam vinatieri in all time kicking extra points is number two he is second and the man that he is second to is a man by the name of George Blanda. Now, we probably all heard the name George Blanda before. Um, this is the guy, I think he played until he was like 60. 
Uh, he he played from nineteen from nineteen forty nine until nineteen seventy five. I mean that's ridiculous. Um, now he played ten years for Chicago, nine years with Oakland, seven years with Houston, and a uh, one year with the Baltimore Colts because that's who they were. Now in that time, he played in three hundred and forty games. And in those 340 games, he attempted 959 extra points, which is a lot of extra points to be attempting. Um, And he made 943 of them. And in his final season, um, 14 games, he actually also was a quarterback. Uh, In that one, he was one out of three that year for 11 yards, uh, one interception. So not the best. However, he was kicking extra points for them as well. But he was quarterback for the Chicago Bears and quarterback for the Houston Oilers. And in fact, he, he was a Pro Bowl quarterback, and second-team All-Pro, Pro Bowl quarterback in 1962 and 1963. Um, he was uh, AFL's Player of the Year uh, and first-team All-Pro in 1961 as a quarterback. And as I say already, he has kicked more extra points than anyone else. George Blanda, the quarterback, is the (laughs) NFL's all-time scorer because he kicked a lot of extra points. In 1962, he threw for 42 touchdowns. I mean, the kicker who's going to throw 42 (laughs) touchdowns in what was about a 14-game season in an NFL where you were basically allowed to physically assault wide receivers before they caught the ball. Um, yeah. It's quite... George Blander is one of the most remarkable players in NFL history. But such a bizarre career. It's it's weird, because I remember... He actually... So here's the other thing. He retired in 1958. I didn't mention this. And then came back. So he actually missed the entire 1959 season because he retired. He So uh, with Chicago... And then he came back to play for Houston in 1960 because they just started, the Houston Oilers, and immediately became an All-Pro. <laughs> it's like, oh my, what? That's absolutely insane. Um, and then after his, his seven years with Houston, he then went to Oakland and played nine years with them. George Blanda. And in fact, at age 43 in 1970, um, he was named second in the MVP runnings. I did 43 for, uh, as a kicker. I mean, he, he started playing in the NFL not long after the, the Second World War had ended. Um, and was still going in 1975. Yes. So, Walter Payton was drafted in 1975 while George Blander was still playing. Mm-hmm. So George Blander, who started in the NFL just after the Second World War, was also playing in the NFL when Walter Payton was in the NFL. Yeah, no. And Walter Payton was a star player when I started watching the NFL. And that he's got that connection with George Blander, who had only just who had started playing just after the Second World War. The idea that you could have that sort of longevity, it was word. George Blander played for twenty six seasons. And it would have been twenty seven if he hadn't skipped one because he retired. I mean, yeah. nearly yeah. three decades of playing. That's unbelievable. There, there, there's, there's, you can find pictures online 
of George Blanda on the sidelines for Houston when he's like 47 years old uh, or for Oakland. And you look at him and go, he looks about 60. Why is he, why is he still playing? But the reason he was still playing is because he was playing at such a high level. He was still making Pro Bowls. He was still, I mean, he was one of the, the best kickers the NFL, well, he was the best kicker the NFL had ever seen. And at the time, through the, the 50s now, one of the best quarterbacks the NFL had ever seen. I mean, that's just, that would that would like be like Johnny Unitas kicking extra points for the Colts at the time. Yeah. And field goals. It's just insane. So yeah, that's, uh, my random stat kind of grew a few legs there. But yeah, that's uh, George Blanda, the all-time leading scorer in NFL history. Um, and I did actually have the points total that he had, and I've completely lost it. Oh, he oh he doesn't have the record anymore. Believe it or not, Adam Vinatieri. Yeah. Oh, he did go past him. He did, Adam Vinatieri, and as did you'll be happy to hear, uh, Jake Morton Anderson. Oh yeah, great kicker. But George Blanda in his career uh, scored two thousand and two points he's actually been overtaken by a few people now he's currently ranked seventh all time but everyone else has played in the 2000s they can go- i can i give you another uh, crazy george blander fact always um george blander was the first player chosen in the first ever fantasy nfl game <laughs> behave yourself which which was in the 60s and it they was um, football in the 60s it was not. It was not widespread in any way. But 1962, these people put this game together, um, and I think it was some kind of journalists, people who worked in the media, and the first player picked in that draft was George Blander. So, next time, next time you're drafting your fantasy team, think of the fact that George Blander was the first person who was ever drafted in a fantasy draft. That's quite the claim. That is. But yeah, first. There you go. There you go. Don't, there we go. don't draft him now. I, I, that's my one fantasy tip. Do not pick George Blander now. What idiot drafted a quarterback with a first pick? Oh, everyone knows you go wide receiver now. A <laughs> uh, quarterback kicker, though. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Double, double points. Double exactly. Jeopardy. If Patrick if, Mahomes starts nailing field goals, he's going first. <laughs> yeah. First yeah. overall. <laughs> telling you right now um so there we are gentlemen that was that was a random stats and that is unfortunately the end of our podcast unless anything has happened within the last um hour and 35 minutes that we've been on um i think that's us so uh jake thank you very much for stopping by always a pleasure my friend uh huge thank you to ben isaac's author don't forget the book, The American Football Revolution, How Britain Fell in Love with the NFL by Ben Isaacs is on sale. Order it, buy it, rate it on Amazon. Um, I, I will certainly be doing that. And I can guarantee you, if you like anything about the NFL, you will absolutely love this book. So thank you, Ben, so much for joining us. Uh, I would love to come back. Please have me back on at some point, even when I'm not plugging a book. It'd be great fun. I, I guarantee we will. Um, now, as I say, you're, you're a Bears fan, and we like to get mm-hmm. insights from all the all the different people that come onto the come onto the podcast to discuss their favorite teams. So I just want you to very quickly give me your view on what you're expecting from your Chicago Bears this year. Just before we finish, I'm expecting great growth from Justin Fields. He's finally got a true number one wide receiver in DJ Moore. I think. The whole running back by committee is going to carry on working. The offensive line 
will be better. I'm still worried about the defensive line and the, the pretty anemic pass rush. Then this is a young team that is being built the right way. I don't think they're going to get to to 500. I mean, well, it's actually difficult to be at 500 in a 17 game season. But I I think I probably if they can win eight games, I'll be pleased for this season. It's just a, a stepping stone to hopefully a playoff run the year after. But I think they're going to be really exciting on offense. I just think they're going to be a bit porous on defense. So you've heard it here first. The Chicago Bears are going eight and something. Whether it's eight, eight and one, which is technically 500. Or, I would settle for that. <laughs> or eight, nine, we're not sure. Uh, but yeah, listen, thanks again for coming on. But we're definitely going to get you back on. 100%. Good, good. Yeah, I'm sure Jake agrees with that. Not 100%. You're going to regret saying it. No, I every, won't. Every I week won't. we'll message you like, what about this week? What about this week? <laughs> hey, if my, invoice is, if my invoice is paid, I'm always coming back. We, we forgot to discuss the fee. We'll do that. We'll do that off air. It's yeah, fine. I think it's we'll fine. definitely have to do that off air. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell, hey, gentlemen, uh, we are done. Thank you to everyone for listening in uh, this week. And uh, we only got two more preseason games, week off, and then it is kickoff of the NFL 2023. Cannot wait for that. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us. You can find us on Twitter. You can find myself, Jake, Dave, Tim at Ben, of course, Ben Isaacs, he's on Twitter as well, so feel free to give him a follow and retweet his book. Uh, Very important, that. Um, And we will see you on next week's edition of The Winnerfell Show.